We are five everyday women helping each other to grow, learn, and above all, supporting each other unconditionally to live our best lives. We understand that not everybody has a connection like ours, and our intention is that by sharing the ups and downs of our lives with real, raw, honest conversations and plenty of laughs, we can help you to become more of who you are, help you to stand tall, walk taller, look the world in the eye, and know that you are enough and you are worth it. So welcome, ladies. We are back to our podcast and I hope you're all well and you are ready for today's episode. I'm really excited to share this one with you. Today we have the lovely Michelle. Hello. (laughs) Hi, Michelle. We also have Nolene. Good morning. And as always, the ever-beautiful Chrissy. Hello, hello. And the star of our episode today, the lovely Beck. Welcome, Beck. Hi. So we've been sharing a little bit about ourselves on our blog at ladieslexttalk.today and we're delving a little deeper into each other's stories today. And I got to say, I am loving getting to know you all a whole lot better. I would recommend everybody do this with their friends, ask them a bunch of questions. It has been really, really eye-opening. And uh, today's spotlight is on one of my besties, the lovely Beck. Beck and I have known each other now for about 24 years. Um, But we've really reconnected over the last couple of years and I can't wait for you ladies and our listeners to see a little bit more of the amazing human being that she is. So being one of my longest friends, Beck, let's start this off by I would love you to share with the girls and our listeners what is your favourite memory of the two of us and um, keep it PG rated if you could. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Mel. Uh, we've got lots of memories, but I, I was, and I've thought hard about this question. Um, but I have to say the the funnest activity that we ever did was, and the craziest was our chef's harbour cruise in Sydney in our navy days. Um, it was wild, and it was it was great. It, it, it was wild, and probably not a PG memory, a hundred percent there, Beck, <laughs> but. <laughs> Do you want to share, because I think, I guess people probably don't know what cooks in the Navy are like, and you and I will know that they're some of the filthiest creatures you'll ever get the pleasure to meet on earth. Uh, do you want to share maybe a little bit about the Harbour Cruise? Just go for it. Like, we we were early 20s at the time, like, older and wiser now, right? Yeah. So, Mel and I were fortunate enough to be, uh, we joined the Navy together, And then we also got our first posting together to um, a base in Sydney. Um, And we were the only two girls um, out of uh, one of the major kitchens at one of the bases in Sydney. Um, We we were like, I guess, the little sisters. We were looked after by all of the boys. Um, So there was really nothing that we could do, say, or... uh, we were like untouchable. The chefs in the Navy are untouchable. After all, we are the one that feeds you. So therefore, um, you know, you don't ever piss a cook off. Um, <laughs> true, true. And uh, this story goes on to say that um, one of the, um, it was sunset, so colours and um, all of the Navy ships that were docked at a particular base uh, were all 
in their Navy uniforms, um, standing out, uh, saluting the flag as it was taken down for the day at sunset. And there may have been a bunch of cooks on a boat. Um, some may have been dressed and others may not have. But uh, <laughs> it was, yeah, quite an experience. Um, and coxswains, all were intoxicated, right? <laughs> yes, somewhat. Uh, the coxswains, so the Navy police met us um, as we pulled alongside because they had no idea that we were a, a bunch of uh, Navy personnel on a uh, public boat. Um, but, yeah, as as uh, we docked alongside and the coxswains were there to greet us, um, we weren't even looked upon as getting into any type of trouble. It was just chauffeured off into the next taxi and onto the next pub. Yeah. I, I, do I do recall some singing as well, wasn't there, Beck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Uh, that, that was the night that Beck and I were introduced to Kevin Bloody Wilson. Oh, so nice. yeah, oh. we we had some interesting singing as we pulled up alongside the ships that evening. Oh. And and let me just say, colours is supposed to be a really a very reserved time of day. It's a very it's it's the lowering of the flag. So uh, yeah, we really were a bit naughty that day, weren't we, Beck? Yeah, there was no respect. Yeah, no, there was none. <laughs> There's too much alcohol, I think. Yeah, <laughs> it was a great day. It was a great, great memory. I love it. I'm glad. I'm so happy for no mobile phones back in those days. Because can you imagine? <gasps> imagine that on Facebook now. Oh, Lord, help us. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, I'm glad there's no Facebook. So you guys met. Um, obviously, you guys met in the Navy, Beck. Um, did you join? the Navy straight out of school and, and what made you, if you did or when you did, what actually made you join the Navy? So uh, the Navy actually came to our school uh, when I think I must have been in about year nine and uh, without even having conversation with my mum, I just signed up then and there on the day. So um, in year 10, I got a call up to go. Um, and went down to have my medical and um, I actually was um, declined access because I was underweight. So I never thought that I'd get that phone call again. Um, and then I was school, I think it was in March in uh, two years later, I got a phone call to say that I'd been accepted and I, I had to pack my bags and be in Sydney as of tomorrow. So um, my dad actually gave the, the school a call that I had to speak to him. And when I went down to ring him, I was like so scared and panicked because I thought something had happened to my mum because my dad never did any of the school business. He was just at work. It was just mum that would, would have made that call, but she was in the car on the way over to pick me up. So <laughs> I don't know whether or not that was glad to get rid of me or what, but... Um, <laughs> So I kind of left halfway through school that day, packed my bags and off to Sydney I went. Um, I joined up with another um, guy, there was one other guy, and um, we were flown to Melbourne and uh, as, as Mel will, Mel will say that um, she met her husband the day that she joined and she met her best friend the day after. So yeah. that was us. Oh, no. Oh, good times. It was, yeah, it was, it was. Very interesting times, Beck. So, Beck, how long were you in for and what made you leave? Uh, it was about three and a half years. Um, I quite didn't make my four-year mark. Um, 
I, I, I left because I was medically discharged. Um, I had a car accident. I was uh, rostered on shift for the weekend and um, I actually cut my finger cutting a cabbage and I got my first lot of stitches. So I was so excited that I'd cut my finger and had my first lot of stitches <laughs> that I wanted to drive home to visit my mum. So <laughs> I was driving oh, no. home to visit my mum, spent the weekend at my mum's um, and was due back on shift on the Monday. So I drove back late Sunday night and um, the Blue Mountains are notorious for having lots of traffic on a Sunday afternoon and lots of bad weather. It was winter and I was involved in a, a car accident where I then broke my, um, broke, I got a cut on my left hand and I broke my right, my right hand, my right wrist in the car accident on the Sunday night. So that's the reason why I was medically discharged after spending almost 18 months in plaster. Wow. That's a fairly serious break then, obviously. Yeah. Oh, well, it wasn't. I just, I broke my scaphoid and the scaphoid is the main uh, blood supply to the wrist. Um, and when they wired it back, it, it just didn't heal. So then they tried to wire it back together and then that didn't work. The bone disintegrated and broke away. So then I had to have um, a, a series of bones removed out of my wrist. I actually have one arm shorter than the other now. Um, I have one wrist that is a lot weaker than the other now uh, because of that. Um, just muscle deterioration after 18 months in plaster. So You couldn't even carry a litre of milk in that hand, could you? No, and um, I, was, I was only young and I was told then that I'd actually never carry my own child because of the, the muscle wastage in my wrist. So, um, I'm guessing you were right-handed at then the I'm right-handed, yeah. So I learned to do a lot of things left-handed. I was going to say, are you still right-handed or are you a very ambidextrous now? No, not at all. I'm so, <laughs> I can't believe I survived that long using my left hand. <laughs> so, no, I, uh, it, it, I, I'm still very weak in the arm. There's a lot of things I can't do. I can't do a normal push-up. I can't carry anything heavy. Um, I can't do a normal push-up either and I don't have an excuse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't do too many, Nolene, but that's my excuse. I can't. Yeah. That would be your wrist was a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Cool. That's an unusual ending to a career, I suppose. Um, so from there, how did you get to where you are now and what do you do now? It was a a very trying time, to be honest. Um, I spent a lot of time not knowing what I was ever going to do. Um, coming from a small country town, the reason why I joined the Navy was because there wasn't a lot of other options for us. Um, I always dreamt of being a hairdresser. So unfortunately, being in a small town, um, the apprenticeships roll in years. So when I was due to leave school, the apprenticeships were all gone the year before. So that's one of the reasons why I joined the Navy. Um, and then after having uh, having the operation and, and having so much damage done to my arm and not knowing what I wanted to do, um, I did apply to become an officer in the Navy, which I was accepted to do. Um, but I, I just emotionally, I didn't know what I wanted to do anymore. I, I was lost. So... <laughs> 
I've done a lot of things. I went back to university and I studied hospitality, uh, realizing that, you know, that just wasn't for me. It meant working every weekend when all of my friends were working <laughs> during the week. Um, and then I guess the only good thing that came out of that is that I, I uh, rekindled a friendship and then a romance with my now husband. Mm. And he had a very uh, interesting job where we travelled around Australia doing some crazy stuff and and living living a different lifestyle, I guess. And then from there, uh, we I was working for one of the major banks and I got a transfer to uh, Mount Isa. And then my husband was working in mining then, so he he transferred there as well. Um, and again, living in Mount Isa and being in the mining industry. He, um, they have a really funny roster, four days on, four days off. So again, I was always at work when everyone else was off having fun. So I applied to be a control room operator in the mines and was lucky enough to get that. So that's what I've been doing uh, for the last, I don't know, 12, 14 years now. You say it's a funny roster, but my husband's always done that roster like since before the kids were born and I was doing a different the sportsman's roster the the rolling five four five four 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 so how do you find that with the kids so that's what we do now I, mm. I'm still in the mining industry now and we do the five four roster and then my husband is permanent weekends Fair. For our listeners, like I know a lot of us here are familiar with the mining industry, but what is a 5-4 roster? Uh, so I do five days on and then I'll have five days off and then I do four days on and then I'll have four days off. But we do rotate that between days and nights. So the days uh, that say the five on will be day shift and then I'll go back and I'll do four nights and then I'll have time off, go back and do another five nights and then do another four uh, days. So overall in the month, it works out to be about 18 days a month that I'm working, which will include two weekend shifts. Mm. And I've just been lucky that uh, I have family. And one of the reasons why we moved home to New South Wales was to be closer to family because we did have the kids and um, we needed, we need that they wanted to be closer to family and, and, we needed someone to help us out with um, babysitting. Mm. Gotta love free babysitters, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're not free. They come at a price. <laughs> uh, yeah. May not be financial, but uh, yeah, it's a bit difficult sometimes. Yeah. So you moved back to where you grew up, did you? Um, where was that? And like, have you got brothers and sisters or? Uh, yeah, so I've got two younger brothers. My brothers are five years younger than me. And I grew up in a small town at the bottom of the Blue Mountains in the western New South, um, from like Western Sydney. Um, it's just a small little country town within, you know, within 10, 15 minutes driving distance to our, to our nearest town of which only may be 20,000 people. Um, so not far western like New South Wales country New South Wales but now I live uh, near Mudgee in New South Wales and it's the start of the Hunter Valley the mm. the wine uh, region of New South Wales and uh, yeah this is this is where we work and live this is our life now. Do you like it? I love it love Mudgee it's beautiful. Beck you and I met through uh, a travel club that we were involved in so I know that you're an avid traveller 
And it's an interesting time that we live in that I would be asking this question. But if you could only ever go on one more holiday in your life, where would you go and why and who would you take with you? Canada. Yeah, that was a really easy question to answer. <laughs> it's a big trip, and I was—that's my dream holiday. I, and I'd take the family. I'd take my kids, and my husband. And I want to do all of Canada, the rail, the the ocean, like the boat ride, and go to the Calgary Stampede and Lake Louise. And then I thought about this question as well, Nolene. It does include a drop off on uh, Hawaii on the way there or the way back, of course. You can't fly all that way without stopping at Hawaii. So Canada and Hawaii would be the holidays. It's my dream holiday destination. Fantastic. That's awesome. And having spent quite a bit of time in Canada, I'd highly recommend it. So I haven't been to Hawaii yet, but highly recommend Canada. I just want to do both seasons too, though. Like I want to see the snow and then I want to see the summer. So just, yeah, it'll be like a long journey. I have to say, I think the most underrated season is autumn because I did an autumn in Finland, which would be very similar scenery to Canada. And I know Nolene lived in Alaska for a year, so she would have done an autumn in Alaska. Like, would you would you agree, Nolene, autumn is a magic time of the year to visit those sort of snowy type countries? Yeah, and if we've got any uh, people from the US here, autumn is fall for you guys. <laughs> and it, I have to say, being an Australian, we don't really have those deciduous trees that give us the beautiful colour en masse, particularly where I live in Western Australia. So the first time I saw a fall with the colours changing, it was like I was in a movie because it was so dramatic and so beautiful. And in Alaska, the seasons, the fall and the spring seasons are super short. So the, the, the trees change colours in three days and then they're bare. It was like the whole season compressed into three days. It was crazy. You'll love it, Beck. I can promise you that the fall season will just blow your mind. It's so beautiful. So you have to go three times now. Oh, and then spring, like as the new life, just go... Just go, just go for a year. year. Oh, yeah, sounds <laughs> yeah. good. Enough. I think that's the way to go. If you yeah. can only take one holiday, make sure it's for the rest of your life, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Well, they do have mining in Canada, so you never know. I might get a transfer. Yeah, they do. You could maybe go there. <laughs> Canada, I would love to do. What's that That mountain? Yeah. Whistler or something? That looks amazing. Whistler Mountain. So it's awesome. Banff. Yeah, love to go so there. So many destinations, so many hotels. Yeah. So Even much the train looks scenery. really fancy with like their glass roof and stuff, so you can see all the mountains. Yeah, Beck, actually, um, you actually experienced a bit of the bushfires we had too, did you not? Yes. From where you are. Yes. So not necessarily here in Mudgee, but my mum uh, lives very close to well, it's Lithgow, uh, where that's the next major town. And my, the little town I grew up in is actually called Cullenbullen, so no one will ever know where that is. Um, but the the national park that was actually on fire, there's a, a an escarpment that comes down, like it's kind of, it's on the lip of, of the township. So there was a, a phone call to evacuate. The township of Cullen's probably got maybe 100 people at the most. Wow. And, yeah, so there was that roaring red fire threatening to come down the hill and fires go down hills very fast so there was no if it did come down that hill there was no way of stopping it 
Uh, but thankfully, the fire brigade did a really fantastic job. And I have to say I'm very proud because our little township, we're all like families. So they've done a great job, those boys that and girls that were involved in that, in keeping our little town safe. Yeah, good on them. I think everybody knows in Australia someone who experienced some of those bushfires that we had. So, yeah. It's and you've got family. You've got family in the CFA as well, don't you, Beck? Yes. So my husband and um, both my brothers and my sister-in-law, they were there 12 hours, seven days a week for weeks. Mm. And just so that our listeners understand what the CFA is, it's the <laughs> Country Fire Association. So, uh, <laughs> so people who are on the front line, and I'm guessing that most of them are volunteers, all of them are volunteers, Beck. So it's RFS here in New South Wales, Rural Fire Service. And um, yeah, so my, my the little fire brigade that we have in town at, at Cullen is all volunteer work. So there's only, uh, I think Portland have got a small station with some paid, but the, again, they are volunteers because they all have normal every other day jobs, but they do receive an allowance. And then you've got the nearest towns with Guy and Bathurst where they have paid firefighters. So I guess in a summary for that, for people who don't really understand or haven't ever experienced bushfires, the people who fight our bushfires are all pretty much volunteers. So they're giving up their time and they're risking their lives to save everybody else and their families. So it's a, a huge ask and I take my hat off to your family for you know, putting their hands up to do that because it's huge. It's beyond huge so please pass along to them on behalf of us our thanks yeah absolutely incredible they go above and beyond and yeah it was a, a crazy time so um Beck, maybe i wanted to ask you a question you've obviously got a lot of talent you've been a, a chef and and then you went on to do a few other things what do you think is your most useless talent you just said you had one arm shorter than the other, but I mean, you know, what, what, what do you think your most, I mean, everybody asks, you know, what's your greatest talent? What's your most useless talent? I don't know if the length of your arms is a talent so much, Chrissy. <laughs> well, it could be like one arm but push-ups. No. <laughs> I thought about this and... Um, so I don't mean party tricks, but I mean, what? oh, well, yeah, it could be, I guess. I don't even have a party <laughs> trick. I'm so boring. Oh, that's not uh, um, I can. What happened eggs. to you? <laughs> it used to be like the life of the party, Beck. <laughs> children, children happened yeah. to me. We just seen uh, Michelle prior to starting the podcast. Michelle's talent was to break a whole apple in half with her bare hands. Very cool. I, like. I don't even have the physical strength to cut an apple some days with a sharp knife <laughs> in my right arm. So, but I can crack an egg in one hand, like just crack an egg on the side of the pan and, and crack the yolk out. Oh, I don't know if that. Can you? Yeah, I can't good. do that. Like that's a, but that's a chef, like a cookie thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I just yeah. get egg white and crap and everything everywhere. That's cool. One hand. I can do you that. do two at once? Or you can't crack them with your right. I crack. I, well, no, I can do either. Ooh. I've never tried to do two at the same time. See, but I don't think that's a useless talent at all, no. Beck, because having cooked breakfast for people for 10 years, cracking eggs in a hurry is a really good talent to have. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you think that's a pretty useless talent? I reckon that's actually pretty cool. <laughs> the other, The other cool talent that I find very useless, but my family would 
and it frustrates me is peeling prawns this is back to our <laughs> navy days like how hard is it to peel a prawn seriously but there's so many people out there that cannot peel a prawn and like i can punch out five prawns to my husband's one i'm sure now he just is very slow because he knows that i'll just peel the prawns so he can eat faster but peeling prawns is a unique talent. <laughs> and see, I we have a rule in our family. What you peel, you eat. Yeah. You don't have to share them with anyone else because we have yabbies. It's the same deal. Yeah, well, my family would starve if uh, that was the case. So we do have yabbies here in New South Wales as well. And my family does love a good yabby. But I, I, I haven't actually been forced to peel a yabby yet. That's That's his job. That's good. Well, they're probably pretty much the same as a prawn, so I think you'd be fine. Yeah, love it. Yeah, probably. But I'm not about to try it out, Nolene. It'll just be something else I'll uh, add to my list. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. You play dumb on that one for as long as you can get away with it, Beck. That's awesome. <laughs> now, I guess one of our main purposes in starting this podcast was we wanted to help other women to grow and learn and enjoy the benefits of what comes with sharing life with amazing women and you know, I, I've said previously, like when women get in a room, we are phenomenal. We can do anything. I think we've got many talents. And th that being said, Beck, what do you think is one of the biggest lessons that you've learned over the last year or couple of years that you think is something that's, I don't know, changed the way that you live or has helped you or might be able to help somebody else? Uh, so I, I suffer with anxiety. I'm a, I'm a bit of a worry wart uh, when it comes to everything in my life. And I would have to say that one of my biggest excuses that I've, I've, I've had for a long time was feeling that pressure of not having enough time. And, and then therefore that would build up the anxiety of me not being able to do and achieve all of the things that I wanted to do, which sometimes would blow out into a full bone panic attack. And in the past 12 months, I don't know what flicked the light bulb, but after reading and, and doing so much personal development, for me, I finally worked out that you have to make time. Like instead of using the excuses, I don't have enough time, is that that's been my biggest lesson is that if I want to achieve something, if I want to do something, I have to make time. And then when you say make time, you actually have to prioritise that time and suffering from anxiety and, and you know, prioritising that time of what do I want to do versus what needs to be done is something that I've struggled with. Part of my anxiety, uh, I'm a bit of a clean freak because that's something that I can control. I can control my environment and therefore that makes me feel better. So before I can actually do something that I want to do and then be able to enjoy it, I have to have all of the other cleaning jobs done, I guess, in, 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 to make it, you know, to make me feel like I can do, I can do the, the, the things that really I need to do, the, the priorities, the higher goals, the, the exercising, the meditating, um, all of those things that are going to benefit me and that I have to make time to do. Does that make sense? And yoga is something that you've really prioritised lately, isn't it? Yeah, I've been doing yoga now, well, not since I've been in isolation. <laughs> 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 um, but I have. I joined the gym and 
the way that my roster works, I can't go to the class that's available every week um, just because the way I work. Um, but every day that I that there is a class on that I'm available to go to, um, that is something that I've had to make time and force myself to go and do. So regardless of the, the anxiety and the the part of my life that's controlled by that, I have to force myself to go to the to the yoga class because I know that that is going to help me. It's, it's, it's about doing that thing, that one thing for myself that makes me feel good and that helps me do everything else a lot nicer and a lot happier. So, Beck, when you say you have to force yourself to go, is it one of those things, because I think I can relate to this, you go, oh, I really don't want to go today, but you get there and you're like, oh, God damn it, I'm so glad I made it to yoga today. I have driven to, so I live half an hour out of town and I would drive to town and think up five million excuses <laughs> of all of the other things that I could be or should be doing and having my little anxiety panic attacks all the way there. And then I get there and I'm like, okay, I'm going in, I'm going in. Like, it's like, I have to really talk myself into this stuff. And then when I walk out, I'm like, yes, I am so good. Like, I'm just... Oh, I'm taller and I'm stronger and the smile is just from ear to ear and I feel so good. I feel so empowered walking out of a yoga class, but it's such a struggle actually getting there. Well, I commend you for prioritising that and I'd like to agree with you that it's never about making, never about having enough time. It's always about priorities and when you prioritise, you will always find, find time for the things you prioritise. So congratulations for getting that realisation and, and making yoga a priority. That's awesome. I think that having mm. having kids and, and being a mum and it's it stopped me from realising that I'm a priority as well. So I've always put the family first, the kids first, the housework first, all of that kind of stuff first before myself. So, and, and you just, like, you just try to do everything for everybody else and worry about their happiness, that you just become lost and you and you forget who you are. So, like I said, that light bulb moment that I had, I was reading something and I was like, ah, like they ask you to do things, you know, write a list or, or do something for yourself. But it's not until I read that you have to make time. I was like, ah. Yeah, it's right. such a simple sentence, isn't it? And I think as, um, particularly even as mums, I mean, everybody does it and you don't. And the sooner you can realise it, like my boys are all grown up and now I realise it was like, wow. It was really hard yeah, to make the time for myself. So, yeah, definitely. And the guilt, the guilt that you feel, well, mm. the guilt that I feel mm. anyway as being a mum that I feel for, mm. I work a lot and I work a lot of hours. And, you know, like I said, the kids have to go to the grandparents or aunties and uncles uh, when I am working. So the guilt that I already feel for uh, having to send them away so I can do my job, you know, it's just, it eats you up. I don't I feel sometimes feel like you don't deserve to have any time to yourself because you've been at work for 12 hours and they've had to be somewhere else rather than in your care. I commend you for making that decision and actually finding that time back well done. Thanks Niles. Got to got to put your oxygen mask on first, right? Like if you fall in a heap, the whole family falls in a heap. So, you know, you really do need to prioritize what it is and I think you know <laughs> listening to you thinking I, I bet you Mums everywhere are going, yes, yes, 
yes, exactly that is my life. So, Beck, it has been an absolute pleasure today sharing you with these ladies because, uh, you know, I, I do know so much about you and we do spend a lot of time talking to each other. But, you know, it's been a pleasure and I thank you for being so open and honest. And I know that what you've said today um, is going to help some people because, you know, because it has been with real raw honesty. And, and that's another big thing that we want to share here is that, you know, we're not perfect. We're not sitting here saying we're not without our faults or whatever. We've got our struggles and all of those kind of things. But I think that when we stand together and we help each other out, you know, we really can become better as a society, I guess, as a whole. So thank you so much for sharing with us. Ladies, thank you so much for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure. And to our listeners, we look forward to you joining us again on our next episode. But until then, we want to remind you, please walk taller and remember that you are enough and you are worth it.